honestly, you guys are uh, really blessed to have such leaders here. We have such uh, affection for uh, you, your families, and uh, the leadership here. It's been a blessing to be here. I will say uh, I got to bring three of my kids, my three youngest daughters, two are sitting over there. They heard me in the first sermon. I let them play on their iPads this time because they don't need a double dose of this today, uh, I guess. But uh, they, uh, they are... Our, uh, they came out with us, and, and they, you guys got us a, a hotel. We stayed over last night, and, and I told them, hey, look at what Vincent, we walked into this hotel, and my kids look at it, and they're like, Dad, you would never get us a hotel like this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, you would never be able to afford it. So I was like, that hurts right here. You don't even know. I said, I did afford it. I'm preaching. I'm paying for this today. No, I've... I, uh, I, it hurt my pride. It hurt my pride, but thank you for letting us come out. And it couldn't be a better time for us. We're like in shock of all the snow, and we're like throwing snowballs at each other. This is a fun time for us to be out here. And so thank you so much for allowing us to come and to be with you today. Uh, I will say, I, I, I got to give you kind of a pre-warning. I, I don't know, but I know that I've preached at a lot of redemptions, and I feel like I got to give a... Uh, a warning. I am a lot different, and that's fine. That's what we love about redemption. Everybody's different, right? I'm a lot different. Um, I, I'm a lot louder. I scream a little bit, um, and that is a lot to do with the context I'm in. We're in a very inner city. There's a lot more color, diversity, uh, all those kinds of things. We, we, we shout, we dance, we do all these kinds of things, uh, and so if I go that way, I'm just going to say it this way. You have to love me, right? We're part of the family. So I'll be that. Every family has like a crazy uncle, and you're like, ah, you, we all know. I'll be that guy, okay? So just tolerate me today. We'll be back. They put me on the, you know, low attendance week, I guess. This is low attendance week. Uh, they put me on this week just because, you know, they didn't want everybody to be exposed to this, right? Uh, I'm too much to handle, right? There's just, just, there's just there's too much to handle here. So I'm going to do my thing. You're going to do your thing. We're going to have fun together. But I, I'm so thankful that you guys are, are here with us today. How many of you have enjoyed going through the book of Ephesians? Uh, this has been life-changing for me. I, I really love the Word of God. I love Scripture. I love preaching His Word. But more than, more than just preaching His Word, I love it when God takes His Word and makes it alive in my heart, and, and it becomes food to me. It becomes life to me. And so uh, one thing in that first chapter that has come alive to me, I want to talk to you about today. And so what I'm going to do is we're taking kind of a, a pause. You guys are taking kind of a pause on Ephesians. I just want, or, or on, on going to the next chapters, and, and they're going to pick up there in chapter two and uh, uh, in the next week. I just wanted to kind of go over chapter one again, and then hone in, if you will, on one verse that the Lord's really been speaking to me. Now, if you've been here, um, then you'll, this will resonate with you. If you have not, then let me just look at this as an, an overview. Paul starts Ephesians chapter 1 with a song of praise. Now, some people just kind of listen to a song of praise. Other people enter into a song of praise. You know, I, I, I like to you know, kind of get into the song of praise. And, and so I, I want you to just picture Paul starting this book with praise. Now, praise is this, this jam, and he's kind of singing this song about redemption and adoption and the work of the gospel and what Christ has done, and it's all over and over and over again, this line, to the praise of his glorious 
grace, right? The only way to understand predestination is not debate it. It's to praise him for it, right? We like to debate it and think we can understand it. But to the praise of his glorious grace. The only way to understand adoption is to praise him for it. The only way to, to stand what it means to be chosen before the foundations of the earth to the praise of his glorious grace. The only way that you can really enter into this song is by getting in. Now the thing about a jam is you could either get in it or you could critique it. But it's going to keep moving. It's going to keep going. You can go, oh, I don't like this jam. But when you're jam, oh, that's my jam, right? I, got, I, got a, I know where the beat drops. I know where everything's going. I can enter in. A song calls us to enter into it. And that's what he's doing. He's pointing them to praising the God of all this, listen, he's telling in song this grand narrative of what Christ has done, of what God has done, and how he's redeemed a people and rescued a people, and how he's reconciling the whole world together. And it's this song of praise. I want you to think of how even God tells us to, how he, Jesus teaches his disciples to enter into prayer, to enter into time. It's our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Why are we so uncomfortable with praise? I think predominantly we're so uncomfortable with praise because of sin. Sin radically curves us to self. Sin makes us constantly think of self. All of our hearts, all of our minds, everything about us, every day of our lives, we are constantly thinking of ourselves, our jobs, our school, our families, our finances, our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts, our beliefs, me, 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 my, 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 all of it is about me. And praise takes this radical curvature that we just think of only self, forces us to enter into the gospel turning us away from self and turning us to him and others. When we're praising, we're exalting him. It's becoming less of us and more of him. It's why we become so uncomfortable. Because we come in and we're, we're still dragging with us all of, well, this is going on and this is facing. And to turn our eyes toward Jesus and to say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. But once you get into it and you're, you're really there and you're seeing God is so good and he's so faithful and he's got this work and this plan, something happens. We open our eyes again and we see the distance between heaven and earth. We see the distance between all that we have saying about and all that we're experiencing in the world around us. You see, this is why Paul moves from praise to prayer in chapter 1 nicely because praise always leads to prayer. 
When you're singing about the glorious wonders of the gospel and all that God has done and the work that he's accomplishing, and then you look around at everything around us, you start to see the gap between heaven and earth, and you say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All that I've been praising, all that I've been singing, all that I have been declaring, all of who you are, all that is in heaven, let that be reconciled. Let it all be coming back together. Let the gap between all that I see and all that I've sang come together. Leads to praise. Praise leads to prayer. Church, much of our, much of our prayer lives we're trying to figure out, teach me patterns and consistencies of prayer and how to, how to pray. And there's nothing wrong with that. I do those things myself. But ultimately, when you're truly living lives of praise and worship before him, prayer just kind of flows from this life of praise. You see, the people of Ephesus, much like our world today, we're living in a culture where they were shaped by false worship, their very kind of mystic, magical ide ideals uh, that they lived in and all the things that they were facing, and they were shaped by governments and structures and powers and authorities and rulers. Notice at the end of chapter 1, when he's talking about the power that Christ has, he mentions the power over death, the power over rulers and darkness of this age and the age to come. He talks about all these powers that are swirling around them that are shifting them in different directions away from the song of praise that they're singing, and that's why he prays for them. How many of you have felt you don't even know how to explain it, but you've just felt the power of this present age. The power of our idols and our gods and the powers of the things that we're facing. And, 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 and we're trying to not just sing songs of praise, although we need to, but we're wanting to live lives of praise. So Paul says that. He prays for them. And he said, I've heard that you're wanting to live these lives of praise. I've heard that you're showing love to people and the gospel is not just something you've heard of or sang about, but you're actually trying to live this stuff out. You're trying to live lives of praise and for this reason, I pray for you. What does he pray for them? Let's look at verse 17 and 18 because this is where I'm going to kind of hone in on and hopefully we can kind of spent time now Vince you know I'm used to just kind of preaching what we're studying together as he said you know just preach whatever you want so you're just going to get something you know whatever I want right hopefully the spirit can take it and bring it to life but this stuff jumped off the page to me for a lot of reasons and hopefully I'll be able to explain it but Ephesians 1 17 to 18 this is his prayer he says this that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope which he has called you, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He prays this Trinitarian prayer. We're going to talk about that. This prayer of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he asks them that, they, that, that those people who are living these lives of praise in a culture in which is trying to shift their praise and affection and attention in all different directions, he's saying that they would have this knowledge, a revelation of the knowledge of Christ and that it would come by God himself opening their eyes. What would come from that is hope and glory and power. So, let me start with this idea of what he's asking for. He's asking for knowledge. The revelation in the knowledge of him. Many of us struggle with what does this mean to have a revelation of something, uh, uh, but I, I pray that we will not get swept away with kind of ideas, but that we would join in this prayer. He wants us to have a deep revelation uh, that this stuff would not just be something we read on the page or songs we sing, but that it would come alive in us. That all that we've just sang and all that we're trying to live would be revealed to us and where that's going to be revealed is through knowledge of him. Now the reason why we need to take a moment and key in on that word knowledge is because without us diving into that and without the spirit bringing this alive, we'll just default to thinking knowledge is a set of beliefs and doctrines. And that we should think more deeply about him. But in order for us to have this revelation of knowledge, we need to see what he's praying. He's praying this Trinitarian prayer. So look, he asked the Father, he asked the Son, and he asked the Spirit. That the Father of glory, by his Spirit, in the name of Jesus, would give us a revelation. Why is this important? Because we will not understand the kind of knowledge we are supposed to have apart from an understanding of what we're coming into through this Trinitarian relationship with Jesus, with God. Here's the Trinity. It's, it's a mystery. It's profound. It's hard to explain. Uh, how do you truly do it without trying to break it around? But here's, here's some nuts and bolts to it, that each part of the Godhead, that they're all one. you, you got to emphasize that. They're all one, but they're distinct. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Distinct persons in this perfect covenantal relationship. That the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are distinct, but one. Okay? We've heard this before. But what does that mean? That means that the Father will not be fully known apart from the Son and the Spirit. 
and the Son can't be fully known apart from the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit can't be fully known apart from the Son and the Father. Because they are fully one, you can't know them distinctly or individually apart from their covenant and community. Because they are one. And that the only way to know Jesus is by knowing his Father and the Spirit. The only way by knowing the Father is by knowing Jesus and the Spirit. And the only way by knowing the Spirit is by knowing the Son and the Father. You're like, what, is, what does this even matter? Well, because we are steeped in a culture of individualism, we are so deep in our beliefs that you can know a person in isolation. What we think is, Let's separate from a person from all of their life and all of their community and all that they are, and you'll be able to know just that person. They just need to know me, not all of I am in covenant. See, here's, here's why when you fast forward to chapter 5 and it's talking about marriage, not to jump too far ahead, he's talking about husbands, wives, this is how you should live in covenant. And at the end he says, this is a mystery and a profound, but your marriage isn't even about you. It's about Christ in the church. And here's what he's showing us. That if we look at a, a marriage, which is our closest, if we will, maybe understanding of what the Trinitarian relationship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit is, if you look at a marriage, you're supposed to see two becoming one. And you're not supposed to be able to know one apart from the other. That's why we like to, when you see a couple come together, merge their names. Bradgelina, right? <laughs> this is close. You cannot know me fully apart from my wife. You can't. She knows and is in covenant with me. And to fully know me, you can't know me apart from her. Let's take that farther. You can't know me fully apart from my family, my kids. I'm in covenant with them. They're in covenant with me. You can't fully know me separated from that. You can't fully know me apart from my church community. I'm in covenant with them. They're in covenant with me. You can't fully know me apart from the covenants that I'm in. Why is this important? Because inside of that, you're starting to see how we can know God, know the Spirit, know the Father in relationship to one another, and then also the kind of relationship you're being called into. You're being called into this full covenantal relationship between God. He's bringing you into this, and then you can't know me apart from, and this relationship that I have all of a sudden becomes powerful. The other thing that's extremely powerful about the Trinitarian relationship is that the Father always points to the Son and the Spirit. Whenever the Father seems to be, you got to know the Son, know the Spirit. And Jesus goes, I don't say anything apart from the Father. The Spirit who's coming is better than me. He's constantly pointing 
to the other. The Spirit is like, look at Jesus. Look at the Father. They're constantly glorifying the other. See, when we come into these kinds of relationships, our role in that kind of covenant is to outserve and outglorify the other and not to take and lust and desire someone else to worship you. That's why when you're trying to find a covenantal relationship, someone who serves you and someone who fits your wants and checklist and desire, what you're looking for is someone who loves you as much as you love you. This other, this glorifying of the other, outdoing one another in showing honor. You want to know when a relationship really starts to take off is when both are trying to outserve and outgive each other. But when one or both sides try to outtake, it starts falling apart. Okay, this is the kind of relationship that we're being called into. And there are so many other kinds of relationships that we see in the world around us. Let me give some examples of that. There's so many more. I'll just mention a couple as I've been meditating on this. Have you all heard of a gold digger? Have you ever heard of a gold digger? No? That's not a word you, you use up here. Flagstaff. Kanye has this song says, I ain't saying she's a gold digger. But you ain't messing with no broke. Man, never mind. That worked in my in my hood. Alhambra. No. You don't know. You don't live there. Gold diggers are somebody who wants all the benefits and waiting for the person to die so they can take all the benefits and do what they want apart from the relationship. We look at a gold digger and we go, oh, this hot woman married to this old man waiting for him to die one step in life, one step out. She's just waiting. When he dies, she gets everything. Call her a gold digger. Many of us, if we're honest, could have that kind of relationship with God. We read all of the benefits that we see in all of these chapters, and what we do is make a checklist of all we get, all the benefits we receive, all the things that God given to us, and we could care less if Christ is the center of that. We don't need him. We just want all his benefits. We don't know him. We haven't given our lives to him. We're not in covenant with him. Our lives are not lived to glorify him. But we see someone who wants to give us all of these things. And while we're thinking all about ourselves, it would be nice if Jesus would just worship us along with us worshiping ourselves. That's a kind of relationship. There's another relationship that maybe you've heard of. A stalker. You ever heard of a stalker? Stalkers, man, they know a lot about celebrities, right? Stalker is somebody who like gets online, Googles, you know, constantly studying, maybe peeping over fences, right? Digging through trash, going through stuff, and learns everything they can, all the knowledge they could ever get of that person. They are number one fan. They're there. They know the person. They're a stalker. They know all the details. And they may even know more about the celebrity 
than his wife or his, her husband. Matter of fact, their covenant partner, their, the partner, their, their relationship, their marriage, if you sat them next to stalker and the person who's actually in the marriage next to each other and asked all these crazy questions, the stalker could probably answer. You'd be like, man, she knows more than the guy who's married to her. The difference is not how many facts they know about the celebrity. The difference is while one's peeping over the fence, wishing, the other one's in the house in relationship. There are so many of us who call ourselves followers of Christ who have reduced our relationship down to a set of beliefs. We've studied him. We know facts about him. We have put together doctrinal statements. None of these things are wrong or bad, but we have a whole list of things we know about God, but we don't know him. We could debate. We may be able to show people who are actually in covenant. Look at all that I know. Look at all the things. Look at how I can articulate it. Look at the things that I'm saying. Look at, do you know this fact? Do you know this fact? Do you know this? Do you know this? And we've become stalkers. Church, this kind of relationship is not what he's praying for. What he's praying for is a knowledge of the revelation of a knowledge of, of Christ that their eyes would be opened. This knowledge is closely related to three very key things, and I want you to write these things down. Paul is praying for a kind of knowledge that is more Hebrew than Greek. This is meaning it implies, um, it, it applies understanding, it applies um, conformity, and it implies experience. So here's what this revelation comes from. When you have this kind of revelation, what you have is an understanding, and you have an experience, and you have conformity. This life, that all that I am, all that I have, when I know him, I understand and I'm growing in understanding, and I'm praying for more understanding. I've experienced him, and I know him, and I'm in relationship with him, and I'm growing in that, and I'm conformed to him, and I'm growing in conformity. See, when I was dating my wife uh, 20 years ago, uh, I took her over to my brother and sister's house and met them and everybody, family, they all loved her, but we were horrible at dating. I'm telling you, my wife and I uh, really, oh, yeah, it was a disaster. I'm so thankful I'm not dating anymore. I was horrible at it. So we broke up probably for the 50th time, you know, seems like. This time it was over for sure. So I brought another girl over who I started dating right away because that's the kind of game I got. You get what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I got game. So I brought a girl over next week. We meet her, bring her over, sit down, and I take her to my family. My brother and sister who've met Dana, now I'm, I'm introducing her to the girl, new girl. We sit down, we have a good meal. My, 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 my family's nice to her, and we're all hanging out, and I think it's going well. She kind of goes off, talks to my sister-in-law. My brother pulls me in another room, and he goes, Aaron, do you like her? Oh, yeah, I like her, yeah. 
Why? And so I start listing, checklisting all of the things that I see in her and all the things that I see. And he goes, Aaron, listen, God's given us more than just knowledge. Knowledge is good, but he's given us more than just a checklist. I saw how you looked at Dana. I see how you look at this girl, right? He's given you a a mind for sure, but he's also given you a, a, a a soul, he's given you emotions, he's given you a will, he's, made, he's given you all of these things, he's given you strength, he's given you all these things, he's given you senses, and whoever you marry, whether it's Dana or this girl, he doesn't just want you to love her with just your mind, you need to go all in, I mean, if you're going to love her, you got to love her with everything, because not only you need to be in like that, but she needs to be loved like that. Broke up with her that night. Didn't go well. That's a whole nother story. Dana and I have been married now for 20 years. I'm going to tell you, I look back on that talk with my brother, and I realized that something strategic took place. I started to hear remnants of how God wants us to love him. He wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The kind of love that he calls us into is not just a checklist of these are all the things that I like about God. He wants us to fully love him with a covenantal love the way that he has fully loved us. This kind of love that is rooted in understanding and experience and conformity, all those things that be brought into a full covenantal relationship is how he wants us to love him. And I'm going to tell you, we could have all of our things in our checklist down, but the world around us can see how we look at the other things. They can see where our affections really go. They can see the things that really we are in love with. And where we've given our worship and our affection and our time. Listen, it doesn't take uh, much discernment to tell, is this person just believing in Christ or do they love him? with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what happens is when we come into this covenantal relationship with God, what we begin to see is not only are we given into this covenant that we did not deserve, that we did not work for, that we did not earn, that he lavished this love upon us, but that we get to love him and all of a sudden we see that Christ is our reward and we're brought into this and then we are his. That's the crazy part of this prayer. He prays that they would see that the inheritance that Christ has in us, that they would see hope, that they would see the glory and they would see the glory of the inheritance. Meaning earlier in the chapter, he says, know what you have been given in Christ. And here he says, know that Christ has in us. It sounds a lot like I am my beloved's And he is mine. He has fully given himself to us. And he has called us into fully giving ourselves to him. And that this kind of covenantal relationship where we are giving ourselves to fully glorifying him. And pointing to him and glorifying him and living 
for his glory, that this God lavishes upon us and loves us in ways that we could never even know and experience love, and we get to know hope, glory, and true power? Why is this important? I'll start with myself. When I read this, I really started meditating on this prayer. I started thinking about ways in which there are things and powers and rulers and affections of my heart that continue to go in different directions. And no matter how many times I, I repent and no matter how many times I continue to come back to the Lord and, and ask him, Lord, uh, help me. There, I feel the power of my own affections and desires. And I can become overwhelmed by not believing that, that I have or Christ has any power to, to overcome these things. And when I pray, instead of going, I'm going to do it. I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to get this thing together. I, I got this. I, I'm going to get this this time. I, I swear on the sun, moon, and stars in the sky. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be there. No. It forces me to fall to my knees and say, God, open my eyes. Let me have a greater knowledge of who you are. And with it, open my eyes. Let me experience you. Let my life be conformed to you. It, 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 it puts me in a posture of weakness to know how dependent I am upon him. When we face weakness and when we face hopelessness, everything in us wants to become stronger and more powerful rather than more trusting. Prayer puts us in a place where we have to be more trusting. We have to trust who he is and trust in him. This is covenant. We are trusting in him. What else takes place? When I look at my family, I've got five kids. I've never become more prayerful than looking at my kids. Did you ever have your parents tell you the world you're being raised in is way worse than what I, what I was in? I looked at them, you're like, oh, whatever. Now I look at my kids and I hear my, oh man, this thing is rough. There are so many lusts and desires and affections that are pulling at their hearts. I look at my kids, I look at my boys, and I, I see them trying to stand and fight against this stream of sexual pressure and the culture of the world around and all these things. I look at my girls, and, and I see them fighting for their identity and all these things. And as a father, I talk to them. And I, but ultimately, I walk out of that room, and I go, God, open their eyes. They got to know you. They have to. It can't be just me. It's, they got to know you. Open their eyes. I look at the church, um, the church that I pastor, who, uh, who I love deeply, and I sit in counseling rooms, and, and I hear of these battles and struggles and pressures and oppression and all the things that they're facing in their lives, and I try to counsel them, and I try to help them, but I never feel more powerless. I mean, I walk out of the room and say, God, Open their eyes that they may know you. 
They got to know you. Not just up here, but they got to fully know you. Here, yes, but experience and conform that they may know you. I look at the world around us, and I'm telling you, you got to be blind if you don't see the t- cultural tides that are pulling our country and our people and our communities and all the things that are happening. There are rulers of the darkness of this age that are, are, are controlling rulers of this age. There's so much pressure and so much sway and so many things, and we want to fight with our own strength rather than the weapons of our warfare that are not of this world. That's where a little preview, right? Chapter 6. True power. Lord, open their eyes. Church, not only do I want you to fully know Christ, to know him context of his relationship with the Father, the Spirit, to know who he is, that you're being brought into, to know the inheritance, the things that you have in the gospel, to know your place and your role as you're conforming yourself, what he wants to do in making us a foretaste of his kingdom in this world, all these kinds of things. Not, yes, but that's not just going to be, not just going to be here It's not just going to be, I'm going to try harder. It's not just going to be, I'm going to feel it deeper. It's going to be, I'm all in. I'm all in. Mind, soul, body, strength. I'm going to choose this. I'm going to work. I'm going to ask that he would come and awaken my eyes. I'm going to think deeply on him. I'm going to I'm going to invest emotionally. I'm going to ask him that we would have full experience. I'm telling you. That's what a real relationship is like. Every day I choose my wife. Every day I get to experience emotionally with it. Every day I got to set my mind upon her. Every day I've got to engage with my whole self as she does. Can you see now why Paul is praying this. This is not something Vince can do for y'all. This is not something I can do for y'all. This is not even something I can do for myself. This port, this puts us on our knees asking, depending, wanting, knowing this. He wants it. He wants that full relationship with us. We're not asking outside of his will. We're praying for something that he so desperately reveals. This is my will. This is what I long. This is what I can do. We get to know hope, glory, and power. Guys, I I want you to know I've heard about what God's doing in Flagstaff through your lives and praise as you're loving others. But I know you're also living in a world around you that's pulling you in different directions. And I'm joining with the prayers of the saints that you would continue to grow in the knowledge of God. 
So what I would like to do is, as we close this time, is remind you that you're going to take a few minutes and pray, and then you're going to tend, spend time when they come and call you to the, the table, and you're going to come not just thinking about, you're remembering for sure, but you're also tasting. You're fully giving yourself. You're tasting. You're, you're renewing that covenant with him. You're, you're partaking. You're, you're singing songs. You're worshiping. You're adoring him. I, I, I call us to be a responsive people, not just today, but as we continue to walk in that place, that we would pray. And that what people would be attracted to in Flagstaff is not just how much we know or how much we do or how much we feel, but they would see a full relationship with God that's rooted in all of ourselves and our lives of praise would be like, man, I want to know him like that. Let me pray for you. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. Lord, I give thanks for this church, Redemption Flagstaff. I give thanks because this is something you should be praised for. You have brought your family together here in Flagstaff. God, there is glimpses of heaven and earth coming together as, as they have chosen to live in community and life together and to live as a missional people. God, I pray, Lord, that you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, would give them a revelation, wisdom, give them a revelation of the knowledge of you. Father, that it would be full knowledge, that it would be full experience, full uh, understanding, fully conforming themselves to you, Lord, that they would continue to grow and that the eyes of their hearts would be opened, that they would know hope and glory. And the power that you've given to them. name of Jesus. Take time to pray, church.